Hello, and welcome to Launch Legends, the only podcast focused exclusively on the stories behind internet marketing's biggest and best launches. Each week, we sit down with an online marketing expert to tell the story of one of their launches, what went well, what didn't, and how much cash they made. And now, your host, Hamad Akbar. Hello and welcome to another episode of Launch Legends. Today we're joined by David of UpCoach. David sold his first company, MaxCDN, to Stackpads many years ago. Since then, he has launched and built multiple businesses. David is one of those rare entrepreneurs who are able to run multiple businesses in parallel. In this interview, David walks us through how he's able to do that. But before, if you're watching this on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button, rate and review. If you're listening to this on a podcast, please rate and leave a review. Hey, David, thank you for being on the show. So uh, there's a lot you've done. So I'd love to talk about who you are and uh, how you got here. All right. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, my name is David Hensel. I've always been an entrepreneur. I uh, failed miserably in school. I somehow didn't fit into the system. I went to 14 different schools. And I was pretty lost, didn't know what I do, what, what I should do with my life. And then a friend of mine asked me, I came in, you could put computers. How about we start the business together? And this kind of got me into my entrepreneurial journey. And this was like really the thing for me where I could just do what I wanted to do. And um, it's not that I didn't like to learn or something like this. I just want to learn and focus on stuff that I want to focus on. And this, this worked great for me. I'm originally from Germany. I had a variety of businesses there. The last one was an e-commerce business, which I sold in 2007. And uh, which gave me the money to get my investor visa to move to the United States. I always wanted to move to the States because back then in Germany, there was no startup scene. It was like very attractive what was going on in the States. And I had really good friends in LA and I always wanted to move there. So I got my money for the investor visa, came over, looked around what I could do there. Friends of mine just sold their hosting company and were in the process of starting a CDN which um, I fitted in well because I used to be a Linux system and network engineer almost in the past life. I haven't done anything with, with, with servers in a long time, but having the knowledge and having the capital to invest. And, um, you know, I could take over product and marketing, which worked out really great. We sold the business uh, four years ago, um, had a really nice exit. Um, okay, my so wife wanted to move. David. This was Max CDN. Okay. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, just five minutes? Okay. Well, sure, sure. So, yeah, originally we started as NetDNA since it's about product launching. We launched as an enterprise CDN. We thought, okay, let's just make it a little cheaper than, than the other CDNs that are out there and everything will come, which didn't, didn't work. So if you read Crossing the Chasm, enterprise buyers always buy what their peers buy. They don't take any gambles because, you know, when, when a founder makes a decision on a business, it's, you know, it's, he makes a decision the best interest of the, of the business. But Somebody in a larger, larger organization, they will make a decision based on what's good for them. And, you know, maybe you've heard you never get fired for choosing IBM. So, you know, people in, in these positions often just pick what's the safest bet for them. Mm-hmm. So we had a really hard time getting started, um, especially being like a no-name, non-funded, just that kind of stuff on at CDN. And then we pivoted and launched Max CDN, which was, um, we looked at the market and saw that back then CDN was like an enterprise thing and you know you had to pay $500 a month to get an account and had like an annual contract or so with Akamai if below that they didn't even want to talk to you we thought hey there's so many startups out there for them that's not reasonable so we said okay let's let's build Max CDN which was and our, and our mission was to make CDN as accessible and easy to use as possible for everybody and this really really took off um, and 
so yeah, and in, in terms of launching, since we're talking about launch strategies, a key thing that we used there was we reached out to WordPress bloggers. Back then, CDN was not that known. You know, most people didn't didn't know what the CDN was and the benefits of what they could get. So we reached out to lots of bloggers and said, like, hey man, we're uh, you know, we're this CDN thing here, can make your site faster. Google just announced that having a faster site will make you rank higher in Google, which was like perfect for us. So we made a lot of bloggers aware of this, gave them a free account, asked them like to use us and then write a review about us and they can trash us or talk positive, whatever the experience is, just like, you know, give us some exposure, which worked really great. We were like uh, top three in the Google rankings for the keyword CDN within four months or so. So this, this worked out really, really great. And another key thing we did for, um, for you know, launching because you're unknown. So we picked the poster child, the poster client. And we reached out to Mashable and said, like, hey, guys, you know, you're spending good amount of money on CDN right now. How about you use us? You get it for free. We even buy a banner on your site, um, you know, pay a few grand to have, have a banner up there. In return, all we wanted you put at the bottom of your page saying accelerated by Max CDN. You know, and then we're, I was on sales calls where the guy said, hey, you can stop pitching. You had me at Mashable at school, you know, we were all. So uh, I think that's like a key thing for launching. You can figure out some big name, reputable company that kind of gives people a trust in you, like that, that this, you know, newcomer here can actually deliver and, and um, rock something. So it's like this definitely one tip that I'd give you to kind of get some reputable names on the books. Also, it's helped when we did the outreach to other blogs saying like, okay, Mashable and this and this and this and this, these, these guys are already using us, you know, give, give it a shot. Mm-hmm. There's something worked pretty, pretty great. Right. So let, let's come fast forward to today. I know you've you have launched multiple companies and you actually run them simultaneously. So I would love to know how you actually start a company. How do you get it, get it to a point where it's running properly and then you actually hand it, hand it over to someone else and then you just manage it from, from a distance? Mm-hmm. So we, we just launched UpCoach, upcoach.com. I'm rocking the shirt right now, which is a platform for coaches that helps them to deliver their coaching better. If you do one-on-one coaching or group coaching or or you know, training and also run, run your business, just like to optimize the whole, uh, a whole coaching business and and Mm -hmm. get this into into proper form. Uh, and the launch process is, I like to know the jungle. There's a story from this, um, American general after the Vietnam war, they were the first, first time that a president visited Vietnam after the war and the general came with him and then the, the opposing generals met and the American general asked uh, the other guy, like, hey, man, like, how the hell did you beat us? You know, you had, like, way more money than you, more troops, better weapons. Like, but how in the world did you beat us? And he said, we know the jungle better. You know, so I have, like, all my, my, my daily habits. I have a task that's called understand the jungle. So I have calls with coaches multiple times a day to really understand what what are they doing? What are their pain points? Because I'm not a coach myself. I mean, I've been coaching people in my business, but I'm not a trained coach. It's not, not my, my, my business, you know, it's not, my, not my livelihood. So I scheduled a lot of calls for people who are in the business to really understand what their pain points are and what they're currently using, which technology they're using, and you know where, where, where it's lacking and what could, could be improved. So, so uh, I really understand wait, wait, let, me, let me stop you there. So, so uh, you've just launched UpCoach. I know, you, I know you've got a bunch of onboarding calls uh, planned after this. When did you first start You know, when did you first start to work on this product? Uh, almost a year ago, like ten months ago. And then, or so. 
Well, you said that you speak to coaches a lot. How did you actually get them to speak to you? That's the first question. And the second is, did you have a bunch of interviews with the coaches first before you started development? What was the process like? So the process behind was that initially, I, mean, I have, as I mentioned, I have a few other businesses. One of these businesses is I used to have a course that helps people to apply business principles to family life, something my wife and I figured out. And I modified this to a course to for executives to be on their A-game, which is called Managing Happiness, managinghappiness.com, where I help them to figure out their personal mission, their vision, their core values, their 90-day, one-year, and 10-year goals, and the habits that they need to achieve these goals. Mm -hmm. This was like something that I um, um, developed. And then, you know, initially I trained the people who are running my other organizations because I want them to be in their A-game. If they're on their A-game, then the businesses will, will, will benefit from this as well. Mm -hmm. And um, for this, I initially had it uh, was an online video course, but the completion rate was very low. So I switched to group coaching. So actually first time did some, some extra coaching and the, the results were tremendous from 7% completion rate to 94% completion rate. Wow. Um, and therefore, uh, first we used Google Sheets and WhatsApp and like a bunch of tools and it was like a lot of overhead and work for me. So I asked the CTO of one of our businesses, like who also went through the course, so really loved the course. I came and could you build me a habit tracker? This was like the initial thing. And then we kind of build more and more and more and more and more. Mm -hmm. um, to the point where we had like a really cool system to run these group coachings, just like for myself. You know, it's another thing. If you launch a product, if you scratch your own itch, then you'll mm -hmm. you'll build a way by the product because you really understand the pain points. Mm -hmm. um, and then once we I never thought about really spinning this out into another into an actual product. Then I reached out to a friend of mine who's the OG of coaching. His name is Todd Herman. He wrote the book, The Alter Ego Effect. He's been doing this for, I don't know, over 20 years. He's a real rock star and also well-known in the field. And I was like, hey, Todd, could you look at the thing that I built? You know, I'm not a coach. Just want to know, like, what do you think about this? And he looked at it and said, like, that's amazing. I want to invest. I want to be part of this. Let's make this big. And so... Um, yeah, this is how we, we got to this point. But, you know, even though we have Todd's expertise and he gives us, you know, 20 years of ex uh, coaching experience, he gives us tremendous input, but I also want to understand myself because I want to know the jungle as well. So this is why I had to have all these coaching calls. In terms of talking to, to coaches, um, just LinkedIn is your friend. Just reach out to people okay. you know, and, and chat with them. So, or in Facebook groups, et cetera. Just like, yeah. So within a year, how many coaches do you reckon you've talked to uh, direct interviews? I know it's a rough number. You can't really pinpoint that, right? Uh, 100 plus. 100 plus. Okay. And within the, the last six months, I'd say. Got it. I could actually go to my habit tracker and count, you know, but yeah. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Right. Okay. So going back to how you build a business and uh, hand it over. So you get to know the jungle properly. That's, uh, that's the first thing. Then what? Um, I mean, then also building the, the internal processes, you know, to make sure you have SOP standard operating procedures for, for everything. Also kind of going one step back, I think it's really important to understand what you're doing here and who you're doing it for, you know, something that to, to really clarify, to kind of define the purpose of your business slash mission and, and vision kind of where you want to go. And also creating a proper culture, which is, you know, it's not really at the launch phase, but like once you kind of get going, it's really important that you build a a proper culture and um, that you have emergence. Uh, it's like spelled like emergency, but it's, it's, it's basically the idea that you create a self-governing system. So when, when you uh, look at an ant colony, they have like workers, um, warriors, and harvesters. 
and um, it's like thirty-three percent is you know it's basically divided in equal number, mm-hmm. and when they um, meet each other on on their the, the trails where they walk, they they have a scent they have a different scent, and if um, the ratio is off and there's like too many workers are coming and not any harvesters anymore, then the ant switches and becomes into, turns into a harvester. And also, basically, it becomes a self-governing system. If you have like the proper mission, vision, core values in place, then this this happens. Like people can make decisions without the leadership team, which is really important once once you scale, because you know people can't come with every small decision they come to you. But if you really hammer this into their heads and show them examples uh, of uh, on how you live your mission, vision, values, and explain decisions that you make based on these, then it can can turn into um, something like this. But I guess that's. You know, the topic is launching and not... not no, no, you can talk about it. That's really interesting. Can you give me an example of how you actually built a culture in probably this company or any other company? Yeah. So um, in the interview process, we already confront people with our um, mission, vision, and values. Um, it's, it's important for us that people buy into the values. For example, at MaxCDN, one of our values was build cool shit. You know, and um, we did this on purpose. This was actually our first value because we want to attract engineering talent. We need people who are excited about building cool shit, right? Mm-hmm. And the second one is that somebody who gets offended by a company using the word shit in their uh, core values, you know, it's like somebody wants to come to work in a tie, he would not have fit into our culture anyway. You know, so we kind of used this as a filter as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that, that's that's one example. Then we, uh, when people sign the contract, the last page are our core values, and they have to kind of initial next to each core value, and then sign like, okay, I'm, I'll live up to these. Otherwise, it's gonna be reason for termination. Then mm-hmm. once we get people on, we have a monthly call where we walk through our mission, vision, core values, and explain each core value with some some decisions and then like or people who have been demonstrating these core values on, on real life examples so people can know and judge, judge by this um when you say monthly call um of course you as with all, the, with all the new all the new hires doing, doing that yeah okay and do they do that with the managers or with the higher-ups with the ceo um in initially i've i was always doing those and then once we were more established and i handed off to the gm you know once once i handed off um and another in terms of culture and creating emergency. Yeah, I think that these are the, the key things people really make understand like why they do things. Another cool example is a friend of mine, he um started ring.com, the doorbell company. Mm-hmm. And I've been chatting with him and this his lead engineer, his head of engineering. And he said, um, one of the engineers came to him. We chatted about the mission, vision, and values. Uh, one of his engineers came to him and said, like, hey, we have these floodlights that you put on the side of the house. And when somebody walks past, these floodlights go on. And then you can tell, you see this person say, like, hey, what are you doing on my property? Leave or call the police. And he said, like, since we have these flashlights and the microphone, we could program a party mode. So people can turn on the party mode. And when they play music, then these things will flash, you know, with, with the music. The engineer thought it's the best thing since sliced bread, right? Mm-hmm. And you can tell this engineer, like, dude, that's a fucking stupid idea. Go go back to your desk and keep on working. And then this, this person would be crushed, would never show initiative, et cetera, right? So it's, it's a bad thing. But uh, what... Uh, um, what does this have to do with the rules? And they can follow these, these, these guidelines to make decisions the same way you use it. Yeah. So, yeah. 
I'm sorry, I just got cut off for like a second. Don't worry, we'll, we'll edit this out. Got it. Okay. Yes. So, yeah, so uh, let's go back to the so, yeah, so mission, vision, values, key, key thing. Yeah, mm. let's go back to launch. Okay. So, yeah, so you, you build that, you build a culture, then then what happens after that? Uh, you you build a culture? I mean, this is part of the process. I think like kind of going going back to launch, it's, you know, kind of to give like some more technical things to, to really get started. You know, once you build a product, is launch your product. If you are not embarrassed about your product when you launch it, you've waited way too long. Just like really get it out there, get real user feedback, kind of really understand what people like and what people don't like and be really in touch with them. You can't just like build something and launch and you have to kind of really know what's what's happening there. So what I'm doing right now is I'm doing with every customer who signs up, I'm uh, recording a personalized video. I look at their website, kind of what they're doing and say like, you know, like, hey, whoever, thanks for signing on. I'm David, one of the founders. I'd really give you the best possible onboarding experience and learn about your business so you get the most out of the, 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 the software. I see you do this and this and this. You could do blah and give some, some information. Like, please schedule a call with me so we can jump on an onboarding call. Because, you know, you have to really do the groundwork and really understand your customers so you can build something that, you know, you, that you have product-led growth that, that's, that you know, people kind of... So activation, I guess, is like the key thing once you've launched how do you activate as many people as possible that they actually use your software? It's mm-hmm. the yeah, most important thing. Okay, got it. So you do that, you've launched the product, you've onboarded the customers. At what point do you think, okay, now it's time to really set the processes in place and then just get out and then hand it over to someone who can run it day-to-day probably better than you? I think the at Maxidian, I was, you know, we're all the leadership team was way more involved in in everything, kind of having our hands in in, in all stirring all the pots. And when uh, we sold to Stackpath, and Stackpath was founded by um, a gentleman who also founded uh, started Softlayer, who he sold it to IBM for two point four billion dollars, something like this, like really big number. Mm-hmm. And um, it was very interesting to see how he built the business, how he really laid the foundation for for everything, and. I was the CMO. Initially, I didn't want to stay, but they had a need for for somebody who can own the, the, the CMO part. So I was like, okay, I'll throw my head in and do this for a year and a half. Mm. And when I was building the brand, I always, um, you know, pulled him into meetings and like, okay, this is what we're doing. This is kind of where we're going. What do you think? And he just like sat through my presentation afterwards. He's like, it's great. And then left. You know, after the third time, I was like, dude, like, I pulled him to the side. Like, hey, man, am I, am I like fucking up or like? don't you care? Like, what's going on? Like, kind of say something. It's like, no, I only have three things to do as a CEO. It's like, I have to make sure there's enough money either through a raising or making sure it's coming in. Second thing is I have to preach the vision and the mission to the company, to the inside and to the outside world, like a parrot. And the third thing is I have to hire people who are more competent than me in, in certain areas as, as the, as the division leads or as the, as the um, department leads and leave them alone, just manage them by, by, by KPIs. You know, so it's kind of a really aha moment for me to just let people find people who are really good and passionate about a certain area. And ideally they've done this, this part before yeah. and just let them, let them roll. You know. Great. So can you give me an example of a business you've got uh, where you just work very less over the week and you've just handed that over? What kind of KPIs do you track and how do you work with the team there? So um, one business is um, it's one business that owns two different businesses. One is TaskDrive.com, which is a lead research business yeah. for you know when you do sales outbound, we kind of really find you good filtered information too. So we have like higher open rates of emails and blah. 
Um, and then LTV Plus, which is a outsourcing business for e-commerce companies, so live chat agents, support agents, etc. Mm. And for these businesses, KPRs that we have is we report it on a weekly basis um, and we report how many um, you know revenue coming in, revenue going out, how many people are currently idle, because it's an important metric, you know, because if you have too many people idle, you know, then we'll we'll just, you know, burn in cash. Mm. Um, customer complaints, we have an error log where we enter every problem that ever comes up and we review, review this on the on the level 10 meeting, which is like a 90 day, 90 minute meeting once a week uh, with the leadership team. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's kind of like, you should think of it as imagine you're like on an Island for three months and mm-hmm. you can't interact with the business. You just want to see if, if it's, if it's working well, if it's vital, you know, then what are the, let's say seven KPIs you want to see, you know, it's like revenue cost. Um, how many new meetings the sales team is having, you know, because it's like kind of like some to, to keep the finger on the pulse to see like that 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 things are going smooth and it's like can vary yeah. based on 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 the business. But do you ever have to go back into the business to fix stuff? Which uh, of course, like, of so course, you know, it's like kind of like you you build a machine and you kind of like take a step back and you watch the machine run and if like some area is not working well, then you kind of like you know jump in and kind of see what you can can do there. How do you do that with a software business? For example, with Upcoach, it's a, it's a tech business, right? It's very dynamic where you need to innovate all the time. So you can't be a business which is heavily process-driven or KPI-driven. You have to go in there, drive the vision, make sure that innovation is happening. How do you delegate that to someone? I mean, just like find somebody who's who's better than you at this this area. Find somebody who's really good at product. Find somebody who's really good. Find a good CTO. Find some good customer success person. You know, and then it's like if if you do it all yourself, then you can't scale, and you're always going to stay small. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of once once you have some, some traction, it's just it was like kind of what Lance said, the the CEO of Stackpath, mm-hmm. that you have to find good people and then just like work with them and let them do their thing because they're Ideally, they're much better than you at this area anyway. Right. You know, then you can just like focus on, on the vision of the company and kind of, you know, still stay in touch with the customers, kind of really know like where you, where the puck is going, you know, ice hockey. And always said it's like, you know, skate, don't skate to where the puck is, skate to where, where it's going. It's kind of that you are the one who understands where the puck is going. And also there's this book called Rocket Fuel, also by um, um, usworldwide.com by Gina Wickman. Um, it's the relationship between the integrator and the visionary, mm-hmm. you know, so, and it's also different personalities that fit to the visionary versus fitting to the, the, the integrator. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also an interesting thing to understand if you want to hand something off to somebody. Great. So what's the plan with UpCoach? Uh, how long, what's the timeline looking like? Where you're so with UpCoach, it's very close to my personal mission uh, or my, my, my purpose. I see myself as a change agent who's transforming the lives of individuals and organizations so they can reach their full potential. This is just a thing that makes me the happiest when I can, can see this, that, you know, somebody has breakthroughs and grows. And, um, so, you know, first I did this with managing happiness, but now with app culture, I think I can have even a bigger impact because it's, um, you know, with this like thousands or hundred thousands, ideally of coaches can have impact the lives of millions of people. So I can like, by building this framework, I can, allow coaches to amplify what they're doing and just have more impact. This is like the thing that, that gets me, makes me very excited. So I think mm-hmm. I'll stick with up coach for, you know, it's not, not to, to hand, hand off, you okay. know, and um, it's like, yeah, my, my, my passion business. 
Great. So one last question, uh, David. So someone who's starting out, and I'm sure you you told me last time that you've been in the business for 20 years. I'm sure you've learned a lot. You've made a bunch of mistakes. So someone starting out, what advice would you give them when they think, okay, I want to be like David, where I've got multiple businesses and I'm able to delegate and just really manage from a distance? I, I mean, I learned a lot of things. Like most influential for me was probably money is a side effect of providing value. You know, if you figure out how to provide as much value as possible to as many people as possible, you will be the richest person around. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then in the same breath, like money doesn't fucking matter. It's it's more about having impact and changing people's lives for the better. This is like kind of what makes you really feel good. And just like having money in the bank, like, you know, that doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. My business partner said like, okay, once we get the payments, it's going to feel so great. And, you know, then when the, the money came in, they asked me like, hey man, how do you feel now? What changed? Like nothing changed. You know, it's like kind of like money really is, it's just like a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tool, you know, it should never be the goal and you should kind of really enjoy the process of, of what you're doing. And another really key thing that I learned, I used to be very introverted. I would have never, being on a podcast would be the worst for me. You're speaking in front of people would have been like horrible. I, I'm a recovering introvert. When I moved to the States, like being on a, on a conference call was already horrible for me. It's like really unpleasant. And I realized how much this was holding me back in my business and in life. And I thought, okay, I'm going to change this. So I went to Toastmasters, which is like a public speaking thing. We don't know how to public speak. And I went to twice a week. And I went to two networking events in Los Angeles per week and uh, just like exposure therapy until I didn't care anymore about, you know, talking to, to people, et cetera. Hmm. But then the real switch in my mind flipped when my yoga teacher said, every decision in life, you either make it of love or out of fear. Um, because it's something I really knew deep down inside. I just couldn't articulate it. And let me give you a few examples about this. For example, in sales, let's say I want to sell you, I want to sell you approach, right? Mm-hmm. I used to hate sales with a passion. I feel like I used car salesman that's shoving something down people's throats. But if I know that approach is something that really can help you to run your business better, to make more money, to make your clients happy, et cetera, then that can even be a pushy sale and say like, Hey man, I know it's going to be really good for you. Like, just use it, please. And you'll feel where I'm coming from, that I have your best intentions at heart, you know, and I'm not making out of love because I want to improve your life. Mm-hmm. Versus if you just sell because you have to hit your numbers, you're running out of money, you have to pay your mortgage. If people, if you, this is your motivation for selling, then people will feel this and they will buy less likely. And also it's just going to feel horrible if, if mm-hmm. you do this. Or um, my... Uh, and Max and we grew very fast. And at some point we had very bad internal communication, you know? So I asked my assistant, like, Hey, please go to everybody in the organization to the department heads and figure out what they're doing this week and what they've just accomplished. So we can kind of stay on the same page and combine it in a newsletter. And we sent this out at 4 PM on Mondays. And every time she gave me the draft, I had to correct a million things. And I was like, okay. Like, uh, I asked her to into my office and like, Hey, you're doing this out of fear and not love. And she looked at me like, what the heck do you want from me? And I told that if you do this out of love, you'd really do your best to really understand what everybody has to say, even what a CTO has to say. She was not super technical. And you'd write this newsletter in a way that everybody will get the most benefit out of it and everybody will like even look forward to it because it's funny, it's well written, etc. Then you would act out of love, but you're acting out of fear because the only reason you're doing it is David said this has to go out at 4 p.m. Hmm. You know, it's like instant, instant switch. You know, I could give you a lot more examples, but it's like this also my personal mantra make decisions out of love, not fear. And I'm meeting somebody on a plane. You know, I'd never talked to them. I've always felt awkward, but now it's just like talk to them like, hey, there's another person. Let's see how I can provide value to them. Mm-hmm. And to, to wrap it up with this topic, public speaking, you know, if I stand up there and I think about 
I'm full of fear. Like, oh, do they think I look weird? Do they think what I'm saying is stupid? Do they think I have a weird German accent? And I can't give a presentation and I freeze. But if I think like, okay, what I have to say here can potentially help people. Like being on a podcast, what I'm saying here, some people may think it's dumb, whatever, kind of getting into the mindset of fear. But no, what I have to say here can potentially help a few people out there that listen to this. And then I'm, I'm pumped. I can 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 present and I can, can just flow because I'm like that love love. So great. David, thank you very much and thank you for being on the show and I uh, hope I can speak to you soon. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of Launch Legends. If you enjoyed listening and would like us to find and share more online marketing launch stories, please search for Launch Legends in your favorite podcast listening app and then subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time.